Welcome back to 18 to 24. This week, we take a look at inequality and how that will shape the 2020 election with special guest. Hi, my name is Bill Franco. I'm associate professor in the Department of Political Science at West Virginia University. And my main area of emphasis is on the politics of economic and political inequality. My name is Abby Smith, and this is 18 to 24, the election podcast by and for young people. Inequality has become a central focus of the political conversation in 2020. We can see this conversation manifest itself through a couple different ways. First, the most obvious is through the pandemic. We face healthcare inequality. It is estimated that 44 million Americans do not have health insurance. During a global pandemic, that is not exactly an ideal scenario to be in. We face economic inequality. It has only been a decade since the end of the global financial crisis. A lot of working and middle-class families, especially families of color, never recovered from that crisis. Recently, the CDC had to put a nationwide moratorium on evictions because so many people cannot afford to pay their rent. There is no telling how many people will not get their jobs back once we are out of the woods with this pandemic. We are also seeing years of racial inequality boil to the surface. The death of George Floyd sparked a nationwide movement toward addressing police brutality, and more broadly, the inequalities that people of color face in the U.S. This movement will not go away. As demonstrated by the recent wave of protests in response to the conclusion of the grand jury investigation into the death of Breonna Taylor, when I spoke to Dr. Franco, he explained the ways these factors can influence the outcome of the election. So this is, I, I, it probably goes without saying, this is going to be one of the most unusual presidential elections we've ever seen. So we have like multiple crises that are ongoing right now, including, and you know, obviously, so a, a lot of these, a, a lot of these crises are related, but not necessarily all connected directly to one another. But we have a health crisis with the pandemic, which has created an economic crisis with you know really high rates of unemployment, low wages, businesses being closed throughout the country. And then we have uh, racial justice movements that, you know, again, um, probably somewhat connected to the pandemic and lockdown and economic situation uh, where we have ongoing protests throughout the country. And now, I mean, uh, we can even throw in some natural disasters out on the West Coast. All of this culminating in an election season where we uh, have issues, potential issues with people being able to vote, getting out to vote, not to mention, you know, trying to figure out how all of these different issues are going to influence who people, who people vote for. But yeah, so I mean, all of these things make this, I, I think, you know, not necessarily, so one, one of these issues on its own could be, you know, really make this for an unusual election, but having all of them coalescing together at the same time. All of these big issues coalescing at the same time in, in, in an election year is just really is unprecedented. So so from, from my perspective, this makes it really, really difficult to figure out voter behavior, right? Because a lot of the research that I do, a lot of the research that political scientists do, it's based on what we know from from the past. A lot of our work is based on the information that we gather from past elections. And so if the context of those past elections is so much different from this really odd election year, uh, it'll make it really, really difficult to sort of um, predict or even have a sense of how people are, are going to react to all this. 
Since he brought up these unprecedented events, I asked him to walk us through the way political scientists and scholars have predicted or forecasted political outcomes in the past and how that might change now. So traditionally, the way that political scientists look at a national election is, um, and then the way that election forecasts generally work, is that you have some of these fundamental, they're called fundamentals, the fundamental factors that are really, really good predictors of which party's candidate will end up winning the election. And I mean, the, so it kind of sounds boring, but for, for me, it's really interesting because you can take these fundamentals and really without knowing who the candidates are, what type of campaigns they're running, anything like that, take these fundamentals and have a good sense of which party's candidate is going to win. And, and these fundamentals usually include the ba basic things like how well is the economy doing in the election year? So leading up to the election in the election year, uh, whether or not there is an incumbent candidate running, which of course, you know, is, is usually seen as a positive for the incumbent party. And then other types of international events that are going on. And usually the way that these are captured are looking at U.S. deaths in foreign wars, uh, like foreign conflicts. So with the idea being that if we're having more people uh, sacrificing their lives abroad in foreign wars, then that looks kind of bad on the incumbent party. So then we took these factors and tried to apply them to the 2020 election. Emphasis on the word tried. So taking those, you know, the handful of fundamental factors and looking at 2020, what you see is you have an incumbent president who under normal circumstances would have a much bigger advantage than the current president has going into November. We've seen over the past few election cycles, so over the past essentially 20 years, the incumbent party's president winning that election. So this is, again, the current circumstances make this a, a bit different. So you have, uh, even though you have an incumbent president who's running for re-election, we have an extraordinarily poor economic conditions right now. And thinking a little bit about how the president has handled the pandemic, another issue that might be working against him as well, um, even in the face of, of him running as an incumbent. So you have a lot of things sort of tugging at one another that has led to the current lead for Joe Biden in the national polls that he's seen. But, but again, I can't emphasize enough that this is just so unusual. Everything that's going on right now is so unusual. And it'll be, it'll probably, I, I hope it's not the case, but it'll probably be difficult to really say uh, how how voters are, are going to react and behave in this. Um, and so when, when I say that, I mean, like, what type of groups are going to turn out, um, which issues will be most important to them outside of the economic issues that I mentioned, you know, whether or not there will be voters who are discouraged from voting because they don't feel safe, because um, they, they, they're not quite sure if their absentee ballot is going to is going to count if they're able to vote absentee. So there are just so many, so many factors that are at play here that, that again, are unusual and, and make it difficult to, to kind of figure out the landscape right now. Dr. Franco and I then decided to look a little past Election Day. Whoever, whoever ends up winning is going to have a lot on their plate uh, in terms of rebuilding the economy, trying to figure out a way out of the health crisis that we're 
currently in, um, or at least a way to manage the crisis that we're currently in. Uh, because I think, so I, I feel this way, and I think a lot of people feel this way, that this is not going to be the last time that we're going to have to manage a pandemic in this country. So, um, and it's even possible that we're going to have two on our two pandemics on our hands at the same time as we get into the fall season with the novel coronavirus and, and the flu season that starts to kick in. So there's going to be a lot for whoever wins on, on their plate to try and figure out. I, I don't see whoever ends up winning being able to handle. So even if it is Donald Trump who wins re-election, I don't see him as going to be able to handle the pandemic the way that he has throughout the past six months. I don't I don't see that as as a way forward for, for him um, and certainly won't be for, for Joe Biden. I think he's already promised that he will have a much more coordinated response and management to the pandemic if, if he ends up in office. And hopefully, I think a lot of people are looking at this and saying, hopefully we start to build institutions that uh, rebuild or, or build new institutions that are able to better respond to crisis like this. Because again, this isn't going to be the last time. Um, and not just the, the healthcare side of this uh, or the the public health side of this, but also the, you know, the economic costs that the, the pandemic has had on, on a number of people and businesses and things like that. So as a result of all of this, we've seen a, a lot of the, the, the country's blemishes being exposed. So we've seen the people who are hardest hit by the shutdowns, the people who are hardest hit by job losses, the, the people who are hardest hit by the, the actual health crisis and virus. These are all people who are, who tend to be at the bottom bottom of the economic and social hierarchy in the United States and is a very, we've had a, a very clear and ex exposing time um, over these past six months when it comes to inequalities in the United States. And so I find it, I, I would be hard pressed to see the next president being able to ignore these huge inequalities that we've seen, um, uh, you know, from a policy response on, on a number of levels, right? As I mentioned, healthcare and the economy, um, our unemployment, insurance system, you name it across the board, health insurance for those who have insurance provided through their employer. Um, so like there are, there are so many different issues that were, that are going to have to be addressed come 2021 that are going to be related, that are related to the economic inequalities that have existed and have been growing in the United States for, for decades now. There's, there's just, I, I don't see any way past uh, the, the new president, whoever, whoever the president ends up being, um, addressing those things. Dr. Franco and I then shifted our conversation into the ways that policy truly matters when electing candidates. For a long time in the United States, we have picked presidents based on personality, not necessarily the policies they proposed when they were running. I mean, one of the main things that I that I try, one of the responsibilities I feel like I have as political scientist is to, to try and get people to think about and understand that elections and government, they that everything that we that that we do comes down to policy choices. Um, in the end, like those are the real consequences that are a result of how we vote, who we elect, who we select into office, how we decide to run a government it's all it all comes down to policy choices you know for a number of people um you know this this whole you know the personality of the can especially in in a major national election like the presidency people look at at the person and the personality and think oh is, is this a, is a good guy bad guy good leader badly whatever it might be whatever traits and characteristics they think are most important 
um, plays into plays into their votes. Um, but another thing I'll add to that is that I think uh, another thing I would like to see Americans move away from and move closer to, you know, thinking about policy choices is to move away from thinking about politics as a game. Uh, this idea that my side is either wins or loses. And, you know, regardless of what happens, I'm, I'm rooting for my side. I mean, almost like, right, almost like a football game or something like that. Uh, and I think it's, it's really detrimental to democracy, uh, the way that view of politics plays out uh, in the real world. Because I, I think if you, if, if you understand people's beliefs about elections and think of them as like, okay, I see we have these teams, the Republicans and Democrats, and they're doing anything that they can to get their team to win. Um, and that, that is all that matters. That's where we get to the point where we don't really care a whole lot about policy. It's just about who's the winner at the end of the day. Um, and that's the goal. Um, and for me, that's not, that, that shouldn't be the end goal or the end game for, for anybody. It should be, hey, we have, we have these ideas, um, these policy ideas that we, that we know are necessary for us to have a well-functioning democracy um, that's going to help people in one way or another. And, and the goal is to, right, here, here is the goal. We need to make sure that everybody is healthy. We need to make sure that everybody has a job, right? So, so in thinking more, uh, more along the lines of that when it comes to elections, I think we, we would be in a better place. We then briefly discussed a concept called negative partisanship. And I'll let Dr. Franco explain that to you. And, you know, the other, so the other side of this coin is the, the negative partisanship. So not just like, I love my team. Um, I, I love my team and I'll do whatever to support them and make sure that they win. Um, but probably more importantly, I'm afraid of, or I'm scared of the other team. So I'm, I'm more afraid my, my behavior is pushed by my fear or concern about the other side more so than my support of the party that I'm voting for. Um, and, and again, that, that becomes, I, I, in my view, becomes really dangerous because you aren't looking at, well, here, I mean, then again, 2020 is, is just a great example of this. The, the Republican National Committee doesn't even have a party platform. A governing platform for uh, if Donald Trump were to win this election. So, uh, which is insane to me, right? Like, again, like I said, the, the, the point of these elections and the point of selecting representatives is, is because they are going to be making policy when once in power and, and they don't even have a platform to run on, um, which again, doesn't seem to matter because you have enough people who are supporting their side and regardless of what happens, if you can drudge up enough fear about the other party, um, they're going to they're going to go out and vote against vote against that side. So it's true. The politics of fear are going to play a huge role in the election this fall. And that's coming from both sides. But that is why we're here. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at elections in the state of West Virginia, as well as the presidential election, to hopefully go over some of those policies that are so important when it comes to electing candidates. Before we got off the call, I asked Dr. Franco if there was anything else he'd like to share. Make sure that you're participating. Make sure that you register. Make sure that you find out exactly what you have to do in order to cast a ballot in November, or even before then, if you can manage to vote early. 
And of course, after that comes your episode reminder to register to vote. In most places, it is super easy to register. And in a lot of states, you can do it online. There are only 35 days until election day. And if you're planning to vote by mail or vote early, you need to register ASAP. At vote.org, you can check your voter registration and get resources to help you register if you aren't already. No matter your home state, your political party, or your age, we all deserve a say in the way government functions. Again, that website is vote.org. Real quick, I would like to thank Dr. Franco for joining me for this week's episode, and thank you for listening to this week's installment of 18 to 24. In October, we are starting to take a look at candidates running in this year's election. Our first episode on candidates will start off with West Virginia's state executive races, including Attorney General, Secretary of State, and the Governor's Race. To listen to this podcast, visit the daonline.com or subscribe to DA Deep Dives wherever you listen to podcasts.